and our minds would be open, that we would be focused and fixed upon you, that we would forget about what happened last night, we would forget about what happened on the way here, God, and we would recognize that whatever brought us here today, we are here for a purpose, because there's no coincidence in the life of a believer. There's divine providence from the Almighty God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Alright, so Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It's this year's verse um, that I'm going to keep putting out in front of us. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. In some translations it says you will always reap what you sow. And that's important. Again, as we're talking about growing, as we're talking about maturing... Um, what you're sowing into, what you are planting, you will harvest. And one thing I keep encouraging is the flesh only knows how to do one thing, and that's to die. So everything your flesh craves, everything that the world presents, everything that the enemy comes to do, it's only meant for destruction. It's only meant for death. But Jesus comes to give life. Jesus himself says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come to give you life, and life in abundance. So think about that. These are Jesus' words. And when you study Jesus' life, and, and you study how he responded to those who were following him, Jesus didn't mince words. He knew his purpose he knew ultimately the cross was set before him. Like, again, the cross wasn't a second thought. It wasn't an afterthought. Like, oh, they sinned, now what do we do? No, no, no. The Bible says, and, and as we know, that the cross was purposed even before the world was formed. God's plan, his redemption plan, his, his plan to reveal his love. You know, God's plan from Genesis to Revelation is that he will have a people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. And that's so important to remember as you're studying the Bible. I know people are confused about the Bible. Again, before I became a Christian, I had a lot of issues with God, issues with Christians, issues with the Bible. But once I really started reading the Bible and understanding and studying and being discipled, like there's no way men could have put this together that lived differently in different generations and different time periods man wrote it but the Holy Spirit inspired it it's God's living word from beginning to the end and it fits perfectly to reveal God's plan for his creation Remember, God's the creator, and yet our flesh, apart from God, we desire the created. Think about that. We're so deceived. The Bible says before we come to Christ that our, our eyes, our minds are blinded, that Satan blinds us. We cannot see truth, no matter how it's presented to us. So it is only God who is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son, Jesus. Even Paul, the worst of sinners, he was murdering Christians. 
He was the Jew of the Jew. He knew Old Testament scripture. He understood. He had a knowledge of God, yet he didn't know God until he was knocked off his horse. But he himself says, man didn't teach me what I know. God was pleased to reveal himself to me through his son, Jesus. And as he did it for Paul, so he does it for us. God is pleased to reveal himself, to to strip off the blinders and say, here I am. And he's not going to force himself. He's not going to force you to kneel. That's a choice you have to make to surrender to God. To stop going after the things that are created, after the people that are created, because everything that is created is passing away. And yet those are the very things, apart from God, that we try to find our worth in, we try to find value in. We try to, we find, try to find security in it. And you'll never find it. It'll be for a season, and then it's gone. People die. Things are destroyed. <laughs> And then what are we left? Empty, broken. And yet God all along is there going, but I'm here. Would you just turn to me? Now see, he is for us, he's not against us. But he is a God of love and he's a God of wrath. And, they, and they, both of them go together. We cannot separate him. We cannot try to make him to be the God that we want him to be because it feels comfortable to us. No, he needs to be God. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. His wrath and his justice are right. But wherever you see his wrath in the word, you see his love. Wherever you see his love, you see his wrath. They go hand in hand. And every time he's about to pour out his judgment or he's about to pour out his wrath, he always says, but if you turn to me... Like he always makes a way out. And that's why I always encourage y'all, why would you want to trade or push aside his love for his wrath? Because I know it's not popular today to talk about hell. I know it's not popular today to talk about sin. And like I told you all, I'm going to be held accountable for what I, I share with people. And I'm not going to get up and do a dog and pony show for you and pat you on your back, make you feel good, and with some positive, positive uplifting you know, how go do your best life now message and strip it of the, of the tr- essence of the truth of God's word. Because there's so much more that we need as people. We need truth because the Bible says it's the truth that sets us free. And so I want to be able to open up the word with you all. I want to be able to grow with you all. I want to be able to, 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 to encourage one another no matter where we're at in our walk, but to encourage one another in growing, knowing that what you sow to, you will reap. Isn't it crazy? I remember my days. You know, I don't long for them like I used to. I remember who I was before Christ. I remember the torment and the, and the, and the chaos and just the daily grind and just the constant just crap over and over and over and over. And I was blaming everyone and anyone, but the reality is, it was me. It's you. It's your choices. It's the way you're thinking. It's what's, it's what's got your attention that's pulling you. 
It's giving yourself to the creative. It's giving so much power to the creative to, 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 for you to find security or hope or whatever we do for the reasons we do it. But that's not what you were created for. You were created for God. He's the creator. In him, there's fullness there's wholeness. That's why Jesus says, peace I leave you. Peace I give you. The world can't give you this. Only I can. And when I study that word, and when you go and you study that word, that word means wholeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. 28 years I lived as a broken man. Think about how many years you've lived. Before, before you gave your life to Christ, or if you're sitting here this morning and you never gave your life to Christ, think about your age, how many years you've lived out of brokenness. But Christ comes. says, peace, wholeness, I give you. Like, learn of me. Live from this point of knowledge. From this day forth, take each step and live out of one who has been made whole. Not because of you, but all because of what he has accomplished. In and of ourselves, we cannot make ourselves right with God. There's a lot of good people in the world that doesn't make them right with God. Are you right with God this morning? That's the question every day. <laughs> I told you all my testimony when, when I was about to take my life and God stepped in. I was so far from God. I hated Christians. I hated Jesus. <laughs> but right behind my right shoulder, the pills were going to my mouth. Today you'll live. As clear as someone was standing behind me. And the room filled with peace like I've never known before. Pills fell from my hands. My hands went over my head. And that was my first position. Like, oh, Jesus, you're real. Man couldn't do that to me. I couldn't conjure up and make that up myself. Why, God? Like he steps into each of our lives. He has stepped into your life, you all. Each one of us. And he says that to each one of us. Today you'll live if you will just turn to me. If you will just trust me. Like I keep telling you all, everyone has an issue with God. Everyone wants to blame God. How bad God is. But you're speaking from a created standpoint, influenced by the created that is against God. God is just. God is righteous. God, he is holy. There is no fault found in God, you all. God is not stiff-arming us. No, God is calling us. We 
are stiff-arming God. No, you're not God. I want to live how I want to live. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to live by your rules. I want to live by my rules. And God loves us enough to say, well then, have at it. Like he turns us over to what we desire. So, scripture says here, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Be mindful of that. The ABCs of salvation. I've been, I've been posting this one guy that I follow, and I know Norma follows, and he always, as he preaches, in every sermon or every teaching he does, he talks about the ABCs of salvation. So before communion this morning, I want to kind of just share that with us if you've never heard of it. The A is to acknowledge. You're a sinner. That you're in complete rebellion towards God. My God, there's nothing I can do to clean myself up. I can't keep running from you. Because all I'm running to is the worthless things of this world. But God, you say if I just come and I acknowledge my need for my Savior, that I am a sinner, if I ask for forgiveness, God, forgive me of my sins. It's as simple as that. And with childlike faith, that's all it takes. It's not about works. It's not about, I go to church, I'll read my Bible, I pray, I do, and 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 I do, because then you're making it about you. (laughs) And you're going to mess it up. (laughs) But you just humble yourself. And then be, believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And see, just confess that he rose from the dead Acknowledge, to believe, and to confess. See how simple it is? But when man gets involved, we make a mess of it. We make it this heavy burden. We make it seem that God is at a distance and he's stiff arming us and oh, look how bad you are. And yet God says, if you would just come, just acknowledge, just repent, believe in me, and confess. Like I said earlier, so many different people through the Bible, you can read in the New Testament, that, that came to Christ. But their motive in coming to Christ really wasn't pure. Remember the rich young ruler? Like he came to Christ. And he basically says, I'm a good man. I've kept all the commandments. But how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? And he probably was a good, decent man. He probably knew the law. And he probably did his best to keep the law. But Jesus knew his heart. He was controlled by the created. So Jesus told him, go sell everything. 
Come follow me. Remember what the word of God says? The young man turned and walked away with his head down. He couldn't do it. I say, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And that's why Jesus looks at the followers, not just the 12, but those that were following him. And he says to them, he says, if you come after me, if you want to be my disciple, then consider the cost. Because it's going to cost you everything. Because you have to lay down your old life. Because the whole point of acknowledging that you're a sinner and that you're in need of a Savior and you need to repent is to sever ties from that old man, from that old woman that has ruled and reigned for all those years in your life. And to be born again. Remember the, 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 the Pharisee came to Jesus. He says, how am I to be born again and enter into your kingdom? He says, you must be born again. He says, well, I can't go back up to my mother. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You must be born of the Spirit. It's a new birth. But you must consider the cost. So acknowledge Believe and confess. And if you believe and you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He rose from the dead, you will be saved. Because think about that belief and that confession, that confession. That will alter the way you think. Because remember, our God, if you're a believer in Christ, He's still not hanging on the cross. That's where a lot of people keep Jesus. Oh, what a merciful Savior. He's He's still on the cross. <laughs> That's not our message. He went to the cross, but he's not still on it. But unfortunately, that's where a lot of people who are sitting in church today, that's where Jesus is for them. So the Bible says you just, it's not our confession is that he's hung, hanging on the cross. No, it's that he rose from the dead. And that's so vital. That is the message of the Christian faith is that our God, he is alive. He has defeated sin and death. They have no rule and reign over one who believes and confess. They rule and reign over those who don't. (laughs) But those who do, oh, total victory. He's accomplished everything. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And there's a day that he's returning to gather those who belong to him. God, that's exciting. That's the good news. That's the hope. The hope in Christ. That's why when the Bible says that you must endure trials in this life. Because they equip you as a believer. They equip you to persevere. Because as you persevere, you grow in character. And as you grow in character, your hope grows. And that hope is in Christ. And that hope in Him will never disappoint you. You put your hope in anything else. You put your hope in yourself. You will be disappointed. Many years ago, when I first became a Christian, man, they were the worst seasons of my life. 
There were so many times I just wanted to turn around and go back. There were so many times I lifted up my fist to God and said, why did you do this to me? I wasn't looking for you. Why did you mess up my life? There's all these times. They were hard. And I cursed those seasons. I hated those seasons. But once I learned, wait a minute, I needed those seasons to grow. I said, oh God, forgive me. And now when I'm facing trials, and now when I'm going through, I don't pray God to go, take it off of me. Get me out of this. You know, my prayer is now, and I would encourage you to pray this, see me through it. Because there's a reason for it. See me through it because there's a reason for it. You're developing me. I'm not done yet. You're not done yet. That's how much God cares for us. That's how much he wants to be an active part of our life. Because he knows us better than anyone. Oh, if we would just trust in him. Just trust in him. He's not asking you to be the perfect saint, the perfect Christian. He's just asking us to believe and then to give our life to him. And that's why Jesus says that a a true disciple, a true follower of me is one who will deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. And as I've been telling you, we are living in the days where the persecution of Christians throughout the earth are at the highest levels we have ever seen. And they will only continue to rise. And I'm so encouraged by our brothers and sisters over on the other side of the world. Their faith inspires me. And I'm so concerned for the West because we've grown so lukewarm. I'm not quite sure we're ready for what's about to hit. I mean, we're already facing different struggles and different issues within our land with just maintaining and upholding truth. There's so much pushback on Christians. But again, it's not to become an alarmist, but it is to be a realist. That ultimately, the world hates Jesus. The Christian faith is not going to be welcomed. And the enemy is going to do all he can do to water down the gospel, to put to sleep people. But Christians, wake up, you all. (laughs) Grow in your faith. Be encouraged in your faith and know your God. So if you don't know Jesus, I would ask that you just take a couple of minutes and, and if, you, if you want to know him, if you want to receive him, that you would just simply acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you need, that you need him, and that you would believe that he is the Son of God and that you would confess, yes, Lord, I believe you rose from the dead. And so as we prepare to take communion, then we'll finish in our series this morning. Um, but I'm going to play a song for us. Um, Norma, would you mind passing out these elements for us? And just let these words encourage you. But don't, not, if you don't want to take it, that's fine. You're not, not going to be hooked down on. Um, but if you would like to, um, take the elements, behold them, and we'll take them together after this song. You can let that sound.
take communion because um, Jesus tells us to do this in remembrance of him. So Carrie, would you pray over the bread for us? Jesus will never really know the magnitude of your sacrifice. No movie can ever give us the full picture of what you went through that day on the cross when you broke your body for us but you instructed us to do this in remembrance of that in remembrance of you so we take this element today remembering that sacrifice remembering that no sin can enter into heaven we are sinful people but you made the way for our sins to be forgiven through the breaking of your body so that we could enter into heaven and spend eternity with you. So we hold this in our hands and we take this in our body in remembrance of you with gratefulness in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Take the breath. And Norma, would you pray over the cup? Streams of mercy flow. 
chapters 15, verse 16. So we're walking through the Bible. We're going to spend a little time in the Old Testament, and then we're going to move to the New Testament. We're going to read a psalm, and then we got one proverb, um, a nugget of wisdom to end our time with today. But we're walking through the Bible, and we started it a while ago, but we're walking through it. And my hopes is, as we're studying through the Bible, is that we get to know our God. I mean, it's so vital, again, as kind of been saying all morning, is that you know him. And as you get to know him, you'll begin to understand who you are in him, who he calls us out to be. Again, a people that he will call his own, and in return, we will call him our God, that we would live for him. Some people find it hard to read through the Old Testament. I get that. But it's so vital that you understand the Old Testament because it points to the New Testament. Everything had to happen in the Old Testament for Jesus to show up. And as we read before, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, it is vital that we understand the Old Testament because it's written for us. It's written for us that we have an understanding. It's so vital because, again, Jesus was mentioned in Genesis God said to the serpent, there's going to come one that's going to crush your head. At that point, Jesus was announced. And so for the Messiah to come, God's plan was to pull the people out from among the nations that were on the earth as his own, the Israelites. He pulled them out. He delivered them from 400 plus years of slavery in Egypt. Moses was raised up to lead God's people out into the promised land. They were to be God's people, and we've been studying them. He was instructing them on how to live. They were to look different. They were a a holy people. They were set apart for God. Other nations were to look at them and see that they were different. And even as you study the Old Testament, other nations were fearful, not of the Israelites, but of God. They understood that the God of Israel was God, and yet they didn't come to serve him. They still served the created. So God set these people aside, and he gave them instructions. And sometimes when we read it in our natural creative minds, (laughs) that's still bound to the flesh, we go, oh, there's a lot of laws, there's a lot of rules. Who would want to live that way? Ah, but you can't read it that way. You have to see God's purpose and God's plan. God is holy. He instructs his people on how they are to live so they are not no longer entangled with the world. He sets them apart. Now, here's the thing about the Ten Commandments. They were given. God knew that the people wouldn't be able to keep them. And you say, well, well, then why would God give these commandments? Because ultimately, they point to Jesus. Jesus. We can't do anything to make us right with God. And without the Ten Commandments, how would his people know they were doing wrong? 
See, the whole purpose is for them to know their God, to seek, to, to search for him. Even as he set up, and we've read, as he set up the worship, as he created this tabernacle that traveled with them, because once they were delivered, they were traveling to the promised land. And they, God instructed them to build this tabernacle that they were able to move. God was leading his people. He was very present among them. And so he, he just gave them an understanding of how to worship him. He's not like the false idols. He's not like the things of this world. No, he's God, and there's a way to worship him. There's a way to honor him. So yes, he laid out this understanding of what true worship looks like. He set apart within the people these priests that would then be the mediators between God and his people. But remember, all along, that wasn't God's purpose and plan. God's plan was to dwell among his people. Even Moses would cry out to God and pray that these people, that he wouldn't have to carry the burden of being the mediator between them. That God himself wanted to be among his people. But remember, every time that God would reveal himself to his people, they would shriek back and they would demand to have a mediator. Ultimately, Jesus is the great high priest. And now it's through Christ that we are now reconciled with God so we don't have to go through man to get to God. We don't have to do all the rituals to get to God. And you say, well, then so the Ten Commandments are done away with. No, 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 no. Because the Ten Commandments are vital because Jesus says he didn't come to do away with them but to fulfill them. So now in Christ... Everything is fulfilled. And as we're growing, as we're maturing as Christians, we are loosing the hold that we held on so tightly to, to the creative things of this world. And now we're clinging to Christ. And so in Christ, we won't commit adultery. We won't murder. We won't have jealousy. We won't, we won't do all the things that our old nature were prone to do. And we don't need to have the law over us because the law only burdens us. But in Christ, we're not burdened by keeping the law because we know already the law is fulfilled in Christ. And that's the good news, you all. That's the whole point of preaching Christ. That's the whole point of preaching the gospel because it's not a heavy burden. And if you ever hear the gospel, if you ever hear the, the preaching of the gospel and it's a heavy burden, it's because your, your understanding of it is coming from a natural, rebellious mind. Because your response is, I, don't, I can't do that. I, I, I can't do that. It's too much for me. It's too hard for me. And you're making it about you. The gospel has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Christ. Remember, Jesus had thousands of followers. Thousands. He was feeding them. He was doing miracles in front of them. They, they heard his teachings. It was such, with such authority. They were on the move with him. But as soon as his message shifted to the cross, as soon as he began to truly reveal himself to them, he says, I'm the bread of life. He begins to reveal himself. Do you remember what they all said? 
thousands of people. This is too hard for us to understand. And they left. They left. They turned from Jesus. No longer were they impressed with Jesus. Oh, well, he's not meeting my needs anymore. What is he saying? What is he saying? Ah, this is too hard for us to understand. Now all of a sudden, the miracles, uh, the, the, his mighty power, the presence before them, ah, then nothing. So they wandered back. And where did they go back to? To the old way of life. And you've heard me say this over and over. I've got nothing new to preach because it's the same word. That's all we know to go back to is the old way of living to, the, to allowing the created to master us. We were not meant to be mastered by the created. We were, being meant, we were meant to be mastered by the creator. And then he looked at the 12 and he says, are you going too? And do you remember what they said? Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Oh, that we would get to that place in our walk with Christ. That we would stop being so self-centered and start really being open to what the Word of God says. Not what we want it to say, but what it says. He set these people aside for himself, and now as we're reading, they're beginning to rebel. Oh, they've had enough. Remember, they started dwelling and thinking about what it was like in Egypt. We ate better in Egypt. And you're feeding us this crap from heaven? Well, we were able to do this and we were able to do that. God is among them. God parted the sea. God is doing all these miraculous things in front. They cannot, cannot say God wasn't among them. He was with them. They saw it firsthand. But it wasn't enough. Because they kept seeing what the other nations had. They kept remembering what their past was like. And yet, remember what their past was. They were slaves. They were beaten. (laughs) They worked under intense, harsh taskmasters. And that's what they were longing for. To go back. And now God has them on the verge of entering to the land that he has promised their forefathers. See, God is faithful. And as we're studying through the Bible, God is faithful to his word. That's why it's vital that you know his word. He's faithful to what he has already established. Not to what man wants, but to what God has already purposed. Your belief in God is not going to change God's plans. God's plan is, in effect, it's coming. It's already happening. And now he's about to, they're on the verge of entering in. And he sends, he has Moses send these spies into the land. And they came back and they begin to bring this report. Ten of them gave a horrible report. They scared the people. Ah, those people are bigger than us. Oh, what is this? It was a horrible report. Two of them were like, no, we can do this. God is on our side. God is for us. God is giving us this land. He will fight for us. And he was, they were trying to really encourage the crowd, the masses, 
thousands of people. But the people believed more the report of the ten than they did of God. Because all that these two were doing was giving the report of the Lord. And because of that, God said, oh, I'm going to stick to my word. <laughs> I'm going to give this land to my people, but it won't be to you all. It'll be to the next generation. All of you, you're going to die in the wilderness because of your rebellion towards me. And you say, oh, what kind of God is that? I said, Remember, <laughs> there's no wrong in God. He is just. He is just. When he pours out his discipline, when he pours out his wrath, there is no error in it. You can point all your fingers you want at him. You can hold up your fists and you can curse him all if you want. <laughs> but he is just. He is holy. He is righteous. These people have chosen to turn from God. And now, because of their rebellion, he will give them what they want. That's his wrath. If that's what you want, here, have at it. If that's what you love, <laughs> have at it. It'll master you. That will be your God. And that would be your choosing. And so at the end of life, at the end of days, when you take your last breath, just remember who your God was. Because that's where you will spend eternity. You will either be with God, the true God, the creator for eternity because of his son Jesus. Or you will be separated from him in a place of torment for eternity. And you say, well, how can a loving God send people to hell? Listen, the loving God doesn't send people to hell. People choose hell over a loving God. So change your mindset. Again, there's nothing in God that is wrong, that is in error. He is holy. He is just. But there's rebellion in the camp Chapter 14, the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus, in a great chorus of protests against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. <laughs> then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jehovah, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Ah, listen to this, verse 10. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? Even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them, I will disown them and destroy them with a the plague. 
Then I will make you into a great, uh, sorry, then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. Did you hear that? They are rebelling against the very one who has brought them out. They want to go back. They don't want to hear the good report. They don't want to hear about freedom. They don't want to hear about God being with them. They don't want to hear how God will care for them and provide for them. No, they believe the other report. Whose report are you believing today? That's why I keep telling you all, you can't allow your theology to be taught to you by Satan. You can't have the knowledge of God be taught to you by unbelievers. Everyone. I don't know about you. Sometimes, even for me as a pastor, it can be frustrating. Sometimes I sit and I, and I, and I read things and I scroll through things and I'm seeing how Christians respond. I see how Christian leaders speak and I go, Oh, God, this is a, this is a mess. Who are we? And then he gently reminds me, it's not about who we are, it's about who he is. The wheat and the tares, they grow among each other. That's why we don't look to man. That's why we don't look to church. We look to God. We look to God. These two guys, they were giving the report of the Lord. They were encouraging the people. And look what everyone else wanted to do with them. Kill them. Stone them. Silence them. You ever shared your faith? You ever just shared, lived your faith out among people? It irritates them. Because the world hates Jesus. The world hates the standard of truth because it lives under deception. That's why I've always said to you, how crazy is it for governments to persecute and kill Christians? No, no, you should want Christians to be in your your employers, to be part of your city, part of your nation, because they're humble people. They serve diligently. They mind their own business. They work hard. They're committed. They're good stewards. They don't steal. They don't cheat. They don't lie. They're productive people. That's how Christians should be. Productive in society. Have a high work ethic. Serving others. And yet, they're being slaughtered in our generation. The highest level ever. And for what reason? Because they just share their lives and who their God is. These people, they chose. And did you see God's response? Like, how much longer? How much longer? And then he says to Moses, I will disown them and destroy them with the plague. He's faithful to his word. But he says to Moses, but... Through you, I'll make a greater nation. But look at this next, how it shifts. 
Look at Moses' response. And every Christian leader and every Christian should look at the response of Moses. Just because you have a platform to preach, just because you have a platform to disciple, you don't use it to point to yourself. You don't use it to lord it over people. No, because the leader is just like Christ. They're the greatest servant. They are there to serve. Moses didn't let his position to go to his head. He could have heard what God said and said, do it, Lord. <laughs> Destroy all of them because I'm tired of them. Because remember, he was frustrated with them. They kept crying. They kept whining. They kept murmuring. They kept complaining. He was like, how much longer do I have to carry them? Did I birth them? He was frustrated with them. And he could have remembered. He could have said, oh, just wipe them all off the map. But he didn't. And I love this response. But Moses objected. Verse 13. What will the Egyptians think when they hear about it? He asked the Lord. They know full well the power you displayed in rescuing your people from Egypt. Now if you destroy them, the Egyptians will send a report to the inhabitants of this land who have already heard that you live among your people. They know the Lord that you have appeared to your people face to face and that your pillar of cloud hovers over them. They know that you go before them in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slaughter all these people with a single blow, the nations that have heard of your fame will say, the Lord was not able to bring them into the land. He swore to give them, so he killed them in the wilderness. Please, Lord. Prove that your power is as great as you have claimed. For you said the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. But he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. And keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, please pardon the sins of these people, just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. Wow. Look at Moses' response. He pleaded on behalf of Israel. Moses is just a foreshadow of Christ. So as you're reading through the Old Testament, everything is pointing to Jesus. Everyone that is raised up is a symbol of Christ. And if you understand Christ, he is interceding. The Bible says, what is he doing now? He's in heaven interceding for you, for me. He's praying for us. And what a beautiful picture of intercession. Remember God. It's not that God would have changed his mind. Every time you see God move, and then he brings a revelation of truth. Because look how Moses responded. He called out the character of God. And not only did God hear his prayer, but the people heard. Could you imagine being among them hearing Moses pray this? I 
when you pray, as we talked about prayer earlier, when you pray, that's why it's just not vain babbling and just words of nothing. Like, know your God. Know whom you're praying to. Know his character. Encourage yourself and encourage others in it. Pray according to his word. That's what Moses did. That's what you'll see all through scripture. They pray according to God's word because God is true to his word. He's not true to, to my desires, to my wants, to my needs. He's true to what he wants to bring about in and of our lives. So we line up according to his will. His will be done, not mine. His will is perfect. He is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. That alone right there should make all of us just say, oh, thank you, God. Because if he's so quick to judge like most people in their hearts and their minds say, how horrible of a God he is, that he's just ready to strike us down dead. We all would be dead already. <laughs> but you're still here today. He could have wiped you out last night. <laughs> or last week. Or when you act ugly the other day. <laughs> or when you rebelled against him this morning. <laughs> if he was such a bad God, an angry God, he would have, none of us would even be up today. But his mercies are new every morning. He is slow to anger. His love is, it's never going to end. He forgives sin and rebellion. This is God. He's made a way. These people are rebelling against them. And then the Lord said in verse 20, I will pardon them as you have requested. But as surely as I live, as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will enter the land. They have all seen my glorious presence, the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess the full share of that land. Now turn around and don't go on toward the land where the Amicalites and the Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. So this generation that murmured, that complained, that continuously rebelled against God, they're not entering in. And God is just and God is right to do so. But those, Caleb and Joshua and the younger generation are going to enter into the land as we keep reading through the Bible. They had a heart towards God. They had a heart towards God. They remained loyal to God. And that's why I said to you earlier, not everyone is entering into heaven. I know it's like, it's the best message to preach that all of us are going to gather in and we're all just going to go march into heaven. But you don't see that. Jesus himself says the way is narrow. <laughs> 
The path to hell and destruction, it's wide. There's a lot of people on that road. But the gate, the path is narrow unto Christ. God is holy. And only those who belong to him are entering in. Those who have chosen their way, they're not entering. And he's right to do so. He's God. These people are in rebellion towards him and his kingdom. If he allowed everyone in, he would have to allow Satan and all the fallen angels in. (laughs) God's presence cannot be tainted by sin, by rebellion. His eternal kingdom is not going to be a place of rebellion. It's a place of wholeness. It's a place of peace forever, forever. His wrath is stored up. One day it's going to be unleashed upon this earth. And only he knows the time and the hour. But he's given us prophetic understanding of what those days are going to look like. The world's going to be worse off than it was in the days of Noah. And if you remember the days of Noah, Noah built an ark. And only him and his family entered in. The rest of the earth perished. Because they were vile. They were wicked. They hated God. So we have to understand this. We have to have grasp of a good understanding that I have a choice to make. Either I'm serving Christ or I'm serving myself. I'm living one way or another. And God said, I'll hold off. As you've requested, I will pardon them. But there's consequences. These people, he knows their hearts. These people would never turn to him. This older generation, they will never turn to God. He knows that. That's why he is just to turn them over. He knows each of our hearts. He knows those who will be in and those who are out. He's God. And now listen to what happens here. He's announced what's going to take place. Now all of a sudden, the people who were scared to enter the land, the people who believed the bad report, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with these wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I have heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Now tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very things I, the Lord, I'm sorry, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in the wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only expectations, the only exceptions will be Caleb, son of this guy, and Joshua, son of Nun. You said your children would be carried off as plunder. Well, I will bring them safely into the land, and they will enjoy what you have despised. But as for you, you will drop dead in this 
wilderness, and your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last one of you lies dead in the wilderness. Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in, in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it is like to have me for an enemy. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will certainly do these things to every member of the community who has conspired against me. They will be destroyed here in this wilderness, and here they will die. The ten men, Moses's. Moses had sent to explore the land. The ones who incited rebellion against the Lord with their bad report were struck dead with a plague before the Lord. Of the twelve who had explored the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. When Moses reported the Lord's words to all the Israelites, the people were filled with grief. Then they got up early the next morning and went to the top of the range of hills. Let's go, they said. We realize that we have sinned, but now we are ready to enter the land the Lord has promised us. But Moses said, why are you now disobeying the Lord's orders to return to the wilderness? It won't work. Do not go into the land now. You will only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. When you face the Amalekites and the Canaanites in battle, you will be slaughtered. The Lord will abandon you because you have abandoned the Lord. But the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country, even though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in those hills came down and attacked them and chased them back as far as Hormah. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you finally settle in the land I'm giving you, you will offer special sorry, you will offer special gifts as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. These gifts may take the form of a burnt offering, a sacrifice to fulfill a vow, a voluntary offering, or an offering at any of at any of your annual festivals, and they may be taken from your herds of cattle. Or flocks of sheep and goats. When you present these offerings, you must also give the Lord a grain offering in two quarts of choice flour mixed with one quart of olive oil. For each lamb offered as a burnt offering or a special sacrifice, you must also present one quart of wine as a liquid offering. If the sacrifice is a ram, give a grain offering of four quarts of choice flour mixed with a third of a gallon of olive oil, and give a third of a gallon of wine as a liquid offering. This will be pleasing aroma to the Lord. When you present a young bull as a burnt offering or as a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a peace offering to the Lord, you must also give a grain offering of six quarts of choice flour mixed with two quarts of olive oil and give two quarts of wine as a liquid offering. This will be a special gift and a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Each sacrifice of a bull, ram, lamb, or young goat should be prepared in this way. Follow these instructions with each offering you present. All of your native-born Israelites must follow these instructions when you offer a special gift as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And if any foreigners visit you or live among you and want to present a special gift as a pleasing aroma to the Lord, they must follow these same procedures. Native-born Israelites and foreigners are equal before the Lord and are subject to the same decrees. This is a permanent law for you to observe from generation to generation. The same instructions and regulations will apply both to you and to the foreigners living among you. Wow. This is God, you all. 
And these people chose to say, you know what? No, we'll take that land. We realize we've sinned, but what? we now want what God wants to give us. But it didn't work because God's presence wasn't with them. His presence wasn't with them. So many times we try. So many times we tried the Christian life. So many times we tried to do, to do, to do, to do. But it's all in vain because it's all in our own strength. Oh, that we would be obedient to what Christ has called us to. To the will of God for our lives. That we would honor him. That we would trust in him. That we wouldn't continue to rebel against him but that we would believe in him. And then we see the instruction he gave to those who will enter in. Again, he lists these, and sometimes it's long to read through the requirements of how to worship, to present these offerings. But again, remember, these bulls, these lambs, all these sacrificial offerings are just pointing to Jesus. He established these rules in this way just so that blood is going to be shed, so sins would be covered, but mainly for the heart of those who are presenting the offering. They had to come. They had to present. They had to put their hands upon that animal to know that that animal is taking their place. It was all symbolic for one that would come, the Messiah, Jesus who would be taken, as we read last week, after a time of prayer, Judas, his betrayer, came. And now the religious men of the day finally have Christ, finally have Jesus. And now he's going to the cross. Remember he says to those, you come now, you come to me like I'm a, like a, I'm a troublemaker? Like, you had all these other opportunities to arrest me. You come with such force against me? They're dragging him away. And now he will be the final sacrifice for mankind. He will willingly lay his life down so that you and I have a way to be made right with God. He didn't have to. At any moment, he could have called legions of angels but he knew his purpose. He knew we needed a savior. He knows our condition. And so he came. So the next time you want to throw insult to God, the next time you want to say whatever your, your rebellion and your complaint is towards God, just remember who you're complaining to. He's the one. He's the only one who's made a way out. He's the one that loves us to say, I'm sending myself for you. No longer do I want goats and lambs like I'm coming. As I purpose from the beginning, I'm coming for my people. I will be their payment myself. Go to Mark chapter 14, verse 53 through 72. Mark 14. Fifty-three to seventy-two. They took Jesus to the high 
priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law had gathered. Now understand this, the way Jesus' trial went down went against custom. It's all at night and it's all hidden. They have all the, they're trying to find all these accusations against Christ, against Jesus. And remember, please, I keep trying to put this in front of us. These were the religious men of the day. These were the men that were leading the church in their generation. And yet God himself, Jesus himself said, your father is the devil. The men who should have known Jesus, the Messiah, the one that they were speaking of, are now the very ones who are now holding him and putting him on trial to kill him because he was interfering with what they've established, this religious order. It's happening even today. Institutions, denominations, who have removed God and have placed man in the authority. And man is running the show. And you remember what Jesus said to these religious men? Listen, you travel far, you're winning many converts, but you're making them twice as much the son of hell as you are. Like you're leading them astray. That's why Jesus, dude, he does not tolerate religious people. Those are the people that he has the problem with because you're keeping people from God. And so he deals with them harshly. But now the hour is upon him. He knows now is the time he is laying his life down. And he's on trial. These religious men now have him. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by fire. Inside, the leading priest and the entire high council were trying, were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Now now all of a sudden, his identity is being thrown out. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all replied. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. Jesus, you all. (laughs) 
Meanwhile, meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. Just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. And later, a little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them, because you are a Galilean. And Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. So it's Peter, you all. The apostles of the apostles, the great Peter. Remember last week, he tells Jesus, no, if everyone else deserts you, I'm going to be there with you, Lord. And Jesus is like, yeah, no, man. You're going to deny me. And Jesus' words came true. And even in our zeal at times, God, we love you. God, I'll never deny you. I'm going to live for you. And then suddenly we're among our peers. Suddenly they want to introduce us to things that we know we ought not to be doing. Suddenly everyone else is doing it and we just want to fit in. And that promise you made, my God, I'm yours. I'm going to live for you. All of a sudden, it's out the window. All of a sudden, in that moment, that looks better. All of a sudden, it's like, no, it's easier to go this way. Because if I stand for him, oh, the mockery I'm going to take. Please hear this again. How crazy it is that there's no resistance to do wrong. Each of you could have an opportunity today to do wrong. And nothing will stand in your way. Even in in your own self. It's easy to give in to it. But how crazy it is to make the right choice, you fight with yourself. There's such a resistance against to do against to do what is right. Oh, if that doesn't awaken your mind to the spiritual realm. And I keep saying this, how sad it is that the occult, the people outside the church understand the spiritual realm far greater than those sitting in the church. The Bible in Ephesians is very clear. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's with the rulers and principalities in the air of the darkness. A realm we cannot see, but a realm that is set out to destroy you. Even your own nature, apart from Christ, is out to destroy you because that's all the flesh knows to do. That's all rebellion knows to do is to die. And it drags you quicker to the things and to those who would be more happy to see you die. When I think of all my friends before Christ, they had no problem with me. In the clubs, drinking, sexing, running amok, doing whatever, acting a fool. Ah, no one had a problem. But as soon as I started making right choices to live better, 
to be a better man, to grow, all of a sudden, they're all against me. Y'all had words to say. And so it will be. People who are blinded, people who are just looking to serve self and to satisfy the desires that are leading to destruction is only focused on them. Me, myself, and I. And if you get in the way of me, myself, and I, we're going to have problems. And how sad. How sad. Oh, but we must remember as Christians, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. We must learn to walk upright, as the word of God says, and a crooked and, and twisted and perverted generation to walk upright. And back in Genesis, it tells us sin crouches at your door and its desire is to master you. But the word of God says, but you must learn to master Oh, God, listen, y'all, you have to see Jesus. You have to see God for who he is. He is not this weak-willed man. He is God. He is holy. He is right. He is just. And he knew Peter was going to deny him. He told Peter that. And the beauty of it, as we're reading through the Bible, we're going to see Peter restored. Because we're going to read later where Christ, after his resurrection, comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then go feed my sheep. I have such a beautiful picture of restoration. Oh, God could have had the right to say, Peter, I'm done with you. But that's not God. Remember, he's slow to anger. His love abounds. He's quick to forgive. And he knew Peter's worth just as he knows yours, in Christ. So he says to us, do you love me? Do you love me? Like, do you love me? I don't know what hinders people, what hinders some of you here, what hinders people out there. But whatever it is, it's all the same. <laughs> It's just rebellion. And the sad thing is, is that each of us can see what it's done to people that we love. Each of us. I saw what drugs and alcohol and unfaithfulness and craziness did to family members, to friends, to people. I saw how destructive it was. I know how it affected me as a child. I know what was around me and what was presented to me, and I know how much I hated it. I wasn't going to be like them. I was going to be different. But yeah, I became it. It's the most craziest thing. Rebellion and sin cannot bring healing. There's only one who can bring it. And his name is Jesus. Same as Jesus. So I pray that today that you know him. And that if you don't know him, that you would come to know him. It's so simple. Childlike faith. To believe. Because rather, you want to believe it or not, your own self, Satan, and this world is out to destroy you. The created things. 
created things to twist your desires, to twist everything. And yet God says, here I am. In me, you'll find all you need. Go to Psalm 53. Psalm 53. As we're walking through the book of Psalms, I I encourage you all to to read the book of Psalms. These psalmists were just mere men. Nothing special about them. But they believed in God. And yet they penned their life experiences. They had highs of highs and lows of lows. (laughs) They went through anxiety and panic. From, From someone who suffered with years of anxiety and panic disorder... Where it almost locked me up in my house. I couldn't even go outside my house. Like when I, when I heard that and I went and I started reading these. And I was like, oh wow. So see how, the, see how you twist yourself up. You think you're the only one going through it. But you're not. There's nothing new under the sun. I bet you if all of us just sat around and just begin to, to expose everything that keeps us trapped. You would realize... Oh, you're going through it? Well, I'm going through that. You're going through it? No, I'm going through it. And then you see, wait a minute. We've all been deceived. Oh, we got to start thinking. These psalmists, inspired by God, penned. And their word of encouragement is to look up. So many times we focus here, at this level. But again, you all, if there's anything you're hearing, all of this is temporal. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Look up. Look up. And I'm telling you, those who've been around me for a little bit, God has done something miraculous in my life. But three weeks ago or a month ago, however long it was, when I flatlined for that moment of time and I was separated further from my body than I've ever been and the brightest of light and the peace that I've, I've, I've never experienced, the fullness of it, and then hearing all this clamoring behind me, and then whoosh, opening my eyes again, going, oh. Like ever since that day, there's such an urgency in me. <laughs> Even more of a greater zeal for God. And I just go, Lord, look up. <laughs> look up. No matter the doctor's reports, no matter what's going on, no matter the next thing or this thing or whatever, just look up. Because all of this is going to get crazier. All of this is going to get darker. All of this has to. Because it's ushering in his kingdom. It could be a hundred years from now. It could be a thousand years from now. It could be tomorrow. But the point is, is he's coming. So look up. Psalm 53 only fools in their, say in their heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. God looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have been become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn 
They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to God. Terror will grip them. Terror like they have never known before. God will scatter the bones of your enemies. You will be put to shame for God has rejected them. Who will come from out Zion to rescue Israel? When God restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy and Israel will rejoice. Only a fool will say there is no God. A fool can never do anything right, never do anything good. It's all evil. It's all destruction. But look how the psalm ends here. Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? That hope of the Messiah, the hope and the one who will come. Do you know the Jews today are still looking for the Messiah? That's why it's vital that we encourage Jews to get to know Jesus. And there is a move, a mighty move of, 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 of movement happening among the Jewish community of coming to Christ. There's a lot of Messianic Jews. But the hope of the Messiah, everything looks bleak. Everything looks bad. No one is doing right. Everyone's living crazy. But look up. <laughs> Who will come? Because there's far more to life than this. Look up. When God restores his people, there will be a celebration. Oh, that's the hope. That's the hope. That's the good news. That's the encouragement that you can carry within yourself as you're going through your day. When opportunities are presented to you to do wrong. You can remind yourself, I'm not a fool. I believe that there is a God. Remember, I have a, I have a strong belief and a bold confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. He has defeated sin and death. So now this opportunity that is presented to me, life or death, ah, I choose life. It may be a struggle to choose life. Oh, but I'm choosing life. I'm choosing life. I remember the first day when I walked into the club after getting saved. And I was with my friends. They were used to having the bar lined up with shots for me. The bartender was pouring. I said, oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not drinking anymore. <laughs> You're not drinking? Yeah, no, 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 no. I appreciate it, but no. Go ahead and disperse them out. I'll pay for them since you poured them. And I remember sitting there that night and just watching everything and everything I used to just identify with and just going... I don't belong anymore. I don't belong. And I went through these emotions of being angry at God. I went through all this stuff. But I remember sitting there going, but I just want to live. I don't know what it's like to live. I just want to live. I was a drug addict, I was an alcoholic, I was enslaved to porn, to addiction after addiction after addiction after addiction. And I just wanted to be different. Because God, if you're real, if you're truly God, then I didn't want to be the people that I saw that had kept me from church, that kept me from you. I had an issue with Christians who held a form of religion but denied the power of God. They weren't really Christians, but back then I didn't know. They were church folks. 
thought they were right with God, but they were the most meanest people. And that was the religion of my father. And at that time, he was the meanest man I knew. He hurt too many people. And I didn't want anything to do with any of that. So God, if you're real, in this moment right now, as I was sitting there at that table and just looking around, I just want to live. God, show me how to live. And I got up and I walked out. It wasn't easy. The temptations, the desires, everything was screaming at me. And I lived in a certain way for many years. Or for a year before I finally surrendered everything to God. I was like, ah, okay, okay. And it was so liberating. It was so liberating. A fool in his heart says there is no God. And all they know to do is evil. And God looks down and sees, are they even seeking for me? Like in Romans 1, it says, even in creation, you can look. And it screams, there's a God. <laughs> there's a creator. Look up. Why do you think the enemy, the enemy is, is, is out to deceive? Why do you think all these false religions are upon this earth? To distort the image of God, to twist his word. It's how the enemy works. It's how he approached Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say? And then you start doubting. What did God really say? And if he said, wow, what a mean God he is. And all of a sudden, you start twisting things. Instead of just seeing truly for who he is and go, God, you're so loving. God, you're so kind. It's constantly, we're being bombarded. And that's why on Sunday... I'm not going to just go for a quick 45 minutes, an hour with you all. Poop, 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 we're done. Go. No, I want us to sit and feast on the word of God because you're going to need to face everything you're going to face when you walk out that door. And if you think a 45-minute little sermon just to kind of tickle your ears to fluff you up is going to carry you through the day out there, oh, you're mistaken. The word of God says you have to be firmly rooted in Christ in order to be able to stand against the assault that is bombarding your mind and your heart. The war isn't over just because you came to Christ. But you're victorious in the midst of war. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty. That's why you can walk with confidence. No matter if they slander you or tear you down, you can stand up with the assurance. That's why I say we, we, make it, we make excuses for sin. We make excuses for things. We say it's the norm. Well, that's how kids are going to be. That's just how men are. That's just the way women. And we just make it the norm. And then we stamp it and say, well, that's just what it is. But we're all usher into church. Well, okay, okay, Jesus. And then we'll all usher right back out. And then there's no life. And then the unbelieving world looks at the church and goes, y'all don't got anything. But when the Christians start living as Christians, when they are empowered by the Holy Spirit, when people look at you and say, there's something different about you, it has nothing to do with me, it has all to do with Christ. Do you want to know him? 
Can I share with you? They don't want to. They say, no, whatever, leave them alone. Go about your day. But those who say, yeah, I do want to know, then share with them who he is and what he's come to do. There's work to be done, you all. Last piece of wisdom you're going to get today is Proverbs 11, verse 4. Just one verse. Proverbs 11, verse 4. The book of wisdom. You're lacking wisdom? Go study Proverbs. Proverbs 11, verse 4. Whoo! Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. A lot of people just want to be rich. Bless me, Lord. Give it all to me, God. And God does bless his people, you all. But if he blesses you with an abundance of resources, of, 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 of wealth, he didn't do it for you. He did it for his kingdom. Because you're a good steward of what God has entrusted you with. And so now you're sowing in to further his kingdom. There's nothing wrong with having nice cars, nice houses, nice clothes, as long as your car and your clothes and your houses and your things don't have you. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the fruit of your labor. Just don't forget the God who gave you the ability to labor and the provision of the fruit. See, there's a right way to live. And those who are seeking just to have it all on the day of judgment, they've got nothing. They stand as just as equal as, as those who don't have anything before God. And the only thing that's going to mark out a true believer is right living. Those who have accepted Christ, those who have put their faith and their hope in the Son of God, who came to redeem mankind, you all. This is the God that we have gathered today, no matter what your motive was of coming, that we're here today to look up unto. So I'm going to close this with this last song, and my prayer will be that as the song is played, if, if you're not right with God, that you would just remember what we shared earlier about the ABCs of salvation. So simple. God's not expecting you to be perfect. It's just about believing. First, acknowledging that you're a sinner. Repent of your sin. Confess your need for a Savior by believing that He is the Son of God and confessing that He rose from the dead. And in that moment of a sincere, and there's nothing wrong with the the sinner's prayer. But if you're around me and you've been around this ministry long enough, I don't stand up and I don't just have you repeat a prayer. Because if it's not a heartfelt, genuine belief, it does nothing. It does nothing. But a genuine belief, acknowledging your sin, repenting, believing that he's the son of God, confessing that he rose from the dead, and that sincere belief, you're saved.
you're born again. Doesn't mean your desires, doesn't mean all that is done away with. No, the Bible is very clear that the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. And that's why I always encourage you, what you, what you feed breeds, what you starve dies. So as a Christian, you learn to deny your flesh, deny your desires, and you pick up your cross and you follow him. Be transformed. How does he change it? How does, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think, by renewing our minds. And that's the Christian life. Just go about your day living for God, learning of him, being discipled, being in a church fellowship. Start getting around Christians who can encourage you and uplift you. And I'll share this one last thing. The Bible is very clear. He does tell us to stay away from a group of people. It's not the world. It's not the lost. He does, if, if that's the case, he would have taken us to heaven right away. No, we're to be out in there, living among them, <laughs> serving them, loving them. But those that the Bible warns us to stay away from is those who say they're Christians, but they don't live like one. <laughs> the fruit of their life does not expose their genuine faith in Christ. The Bible's very clear. Have nothing to do with them. Because if you're around lukewarmness, what will you become? Lukewarm. So be mindful of that. Be mindful of who's teaching you your theology, your knowledge of God. Be mindful who you're, you're looking at and saying, okay, that's a Christian, that's a Christian, that's a Christian. Oh, but they're living that way. They can get away with that. I can do that. And you start looking, you start doing these weird things. That's not the Christian life. If you read what the Bible, what Paul and the others wrote in the New Testament, especially the letters to the churches, not once will you find instructions to them. I'll keep living however you want. I'll keep doing whatever you want. You won't see that. It's constantly drawing them back to their new identity in Christ, and the constantly it's telling them, grow up, mature. Be different, be bold, be, be, be brave, know who Christ is and know who you are and stand in the assurance that he is for you and not against you. So be encouraged. I'll close this in prayer after the song.